Well, it's a privilege and a joy tonight to have my youngest son, Philip, visiting with us from Kansas City. And uh, some of you, this is your first chapel, your first time to be together in this faith community called Nazarene Bible College. And we welcome you to the service tonight and trust that uh, each and every time we gather here, that the Spirit of the living God would come in a fresh and new way upon you. In a few days, Dr. Matson will be going to Indianapolis. Uh, the evangelists in the Church of the Nazarene have a gathering once a year where all the evangelists come together and they go through times of worship and praise and just having their own cups filled. He's been invited by uh, the leaders of that gathering to come and share about the things that we're doing on Nazarene Bible College, specifically that we are praying for our evangelist. And we uh, thank you, Dr. Matson, for continuing to call us to prayer. The week of prayer in October has not been completed yet. But yet God continues to speak and, and uh, work in us. And so, Dr. Matson, thank you. And please tell the evangelists that Nazarene Bible College believes in what they are doing and that we pray for them. Well, if you have your Bibles tonight, you might turn with me to John chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11. I'm going to be reading these these words from the message. So I'm going to have this projected tonight because I know that we might not have that uh, here tonight. I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. The prayer of our Lord is that we would keep his commands for a distinct purpose that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. Peter spoke of this joy in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 8 through 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You know, in this season of the year, there's much talk about peace and joy and love. We sing joy to the world, and we bless people with a joyful greeting. In fact, I was taken by surprise this morning when a cashier at Walmart wished me a Merry Christmas. In fact, I understand that Target has lifted their band on wishing customers a Merry Christmas. 
In this passage, our Lord wishes for us that His joy might be our joy and our joy wholly mature. What would happen if we gave ourselves to the joy of which our Lord speaks? What would it look like to be at home in His love? What does it mean to be wholly mature? I would suggest to you tonight that it begins by putting Jesus first. When pressed by a religious scholar to name the greatest commandment of God, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. A few years ago, Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ confronted us with the shame of nominal Christianity. How can we casually love such a Savior? How can we compartmentalize Him to just another aspect of our lives? Isaac Watts put it best in his timeless hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, he, he writes, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. What would happen in our lives in our families, in our churches, in our communities, if we put Jesus above all things. I believe there would be a renewal of passionate joy that would ignite a holy fire in our lives, in our homes, and in our churches. Like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we would say, didn't we feel on fire? Were not our hearts burning within us? You see, to know this joy, to know this joy is to put Jesus first. Joseph Stoll tells of having dinner with Billy Graham at a dinner for the staff and board of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Billy was 80 years of age at the time and and Dr. Stoll asked him this question. Of all your experiences in ministry, what have you enjoyed most? Was it the time you spent with presidents and the heads of states? Or was it, and at that, Dr. Graham stopped him. And he said, no, none of that. By far the greatest joy of my life has been my fellowship with Jesus. Hearing him speak to me having him guide me, sensing his presence with me and his power through me. This has been the highest pleasure of my life. That's putting Jesus first. But I think it also means preferring others. Jesus continued his response to the religious scholar by saying, but there is a second commandment to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. You see, the command of our Lord is to be others focused. 
to see the world through the eyes and heart of God. Self-centeredness is a great hindrance to the joy of the Lord, both individually and corporately as the body of Christ. When an individual or a church is consumed with self-interest, they will miss the joy that comes through ministry to others. However, when a person or a people begin to focus on ministry to those around them, they will keep our Lord's command and will remain intimately at home in His love. This video clip captures preferring others. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? It's preferring others. That's the joy Jesus is talking about. It's about putting Him first and preferring others and then letting go of yourself. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17 verse 33, if you grasp and cling to life on your terms, you'll lose it. But if you let that life go, you'll get life on God's terms. I like that. Henry Nouwen, in his book, In the Name of Jesus, writes, Here we touch the most important quality of Christian leadership. It is not a leadership of power and control, but a leadership of powerlessness and humility in which the suffering servant of God, Jesus Christ, is made manifest. I am speaking of a leadership in which power is constantly abandoned in favor of love. It is a true spiritual leadership. Powerlessness and humility in the spiritual life do not refer to people who have no spine and who let everyone else make decisions for them. They refer to people who are so deeply in love with Jesus that they are ready to follow Him wherever He guides them, always trusting that with Him they will find life and find it abundantly. It is a demanding challenge to let go of your personal desires and your personal ways and to embrace the will and path of God. But we are a holiness people. We believe that the Holy Spirit seeks to do in us a second work of grace, cleansing us from all sin, renewing us in the image of God, empowering us to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves, and producing in us the very character of Christ. As holiness people, joy should flow from our lives. As holiness people, we must be so deeply in love with Jesus that we are ready to follow Him wherever He guides us, always trusting that with Him we will find life and find it abundantly.
You see, I suggest to you tonight that when we put Jesus first and prefer others, that what we sow, we will also reap. The classic film, It's a Wonderful Life. You know the story. The hero, George Bailey, a man who, who never quite makes it out of his quiet birthplace of Bedford Falls. As a young man, he dreams of shaking the dust from his shoes and traveling to far-off lands. But one thing and then another keeps him at home, especially his responsibility to the Family Savings and Loan Association, which is the only thing standing between Bedford Falls and the greed of Mr. Potter. George marries his high school sweetheart, settles down to raise a family, and helps half of the poor folks in town to buy homes where they can raise their own families. Then when George's absent-minded uncle misplaces some bank funds during the Christmas season, it looks as if the evil potter will have his way after all. George loses hope and becomes unpleasant and uncaring and in despair, he is standing on the bridge contemplating ending his life when an angel second class named Clarence shows up and shows George what life in Bedford Falls would be if it hadn't been for him or what it would have been without him being there. The classic film closes with the town rallying to help George in his hour of need. He spent his life forgetting himself, serving, giving, loving, and caring for others. Now watch what he reads. I pray this season will be a time of joy in your life. I pray that you will love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. And I pray that you will love others, prefer others, as we love ourselves. I wish for you the joy of Christmas. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, how do we begin to thank you for the wonderful gift that you gave to the world when you sent Jesus to take on our flesh so that we might take on his spirit? Oh Lord, help us to know your joy and to live your joy 365 days. We pray for your Spirit's empowerment that we might live this joy that Jesus promised us to have and to know and to give away. Now bless us as we go from this place of worship into our places of study. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Go in his peace.